0: Welcome to Three Thoughts On. This is Rafael Andrade, and today we continue with the addiction series. My guest is Matthew Tobe. Matthew is a certified recovery coach, personal trainer, loving family man, and author. His journey from addiction to a life of purpose has not only shaped his narrative, but also inspired many on their own recovery path. He has helped individuals overcome alcohol use disorder and addiction all while achieving lasting sobriety. With 17 plus years of personal sobriety under his belt, Matthew brings a unique blend of empathy, understanding, support, recovery tools, and first-hand knowledge to his coaching practice. As a personal trainer, he promotes holistic well-being, endorsing physical fitness as vital to recovery. He believes nurturing both body and mind create a stronger foundation. I met Matt through common friends and I loved the conversation we had. He is indeed a wealth of knowledge and inspiration. I hope you enjoy this conversation as well. And now, Matthew Tove. Welcome to Three Thoughts on Today. We have a new guest on the series of Addiction, Matt Tobe. Matt, how are you doing today?
1: I'm doing great, thank you. How are you doing?
0: I am doing fantastic. Thank you for making the time to to be part of this. As um, as we discuss, we have some some beautiful common friends that uh, have put us together to have this conversation. So I'm very much looking forward. Uh, to what you have to share obviously they speak very highly of you and I can't wait to get started but why don't we why don't we lead the audience with tell us a little bit about you and and how did you get to this point in your life
1: absolutely I'd love to share that so uh my story goes back I mean we'll start from just you know 18 years ago so I'm 18 years in recovery uh, my my uh, escape of choice was alcohol. I was a, by the last, I'd say, year of, uh, of my drinking career, I call it, uh, I was drinking from about 7 in the morning all day long. Uh, I think you I would be re- referred to as a functioning alcoholic. Uh, and that drinking would ramp up as the day went on, Uh, to the point where I was a blackout drinker pretty much every single night. Um, And that took a toll on obviously my business, my marriage. Uh, We had a one and a half year old almost. Um, And I came back from uh, a night of drinking, told the nanny she could leave. I was home alone. I uh, woke up about, God knows, three, four hours later, uh, passed out on the kitchen floor with my wife staring down at me. Uh, and all I could think of at that moment was, you know, oh my God, and a whole bunch of expletives in my mind. Not that my wife was staring down at me. That was bad enough as is. But I remembered as I woke up that I gave my son a bath and I didn't remember putting him to bed. So that, I, that feeling has never left me. Ran to the bathroom. Thank God the bathtub was empty and there was nobody in it. And then went to his room and saw that my son was there. And that was it. That was my my personal rock bottom of having that feeling. Uh, I, I ended up going to rehab on my own. Um, and from there, I kept, once I went to rehab, uh, very much like our friend Hillary, uh, I didn't tell anybody that I was sober. You know, I just wouldn't drink. But, you know, I whitened up a little bit. I, I went to therapy. I did the, the program for rehab. But for 10 years, I didn't tell a soul, uh, being in the fitness industry, I would always say, well, I don't drink. Look at what I do for a living. I want to be healthy. It's my body. And I never really talked about it. And then my 10th anniversary, uh, I wrote an article for the Huffington Post uh, about my addiction and recovery. And, you know, I remember my wife saying, are you, are you sure you want to send that to the publisher? Because once they do it, it's out there. And I'm like, yes, to get it out there. And it was amazing what happened at that point in time. All the people came out and told me their story. And then I kept it quiet and I I would talk about it, but nothing like I would talk about, uh, until the last, I say three years where I really just wanted to help as many people as possible, uh, being a personal trainer, especially that was a huge, huge thing for me. And then, uh, during the pandemic I decided, you know what, I've got the time and I I was helping people, but I, I only helped them based on what I knew and I wanted to know more. So I ended up going and getting certified as a, uh, recovery sobriety coach and I've been doing that along with fitness ever since
0: wonderful story thank you for sharing (laughs) there's a number of things that I took notes there as as you were talking and I kind of wanted to to throw a couple things at you and see uh, if you can comment on them Uh, you you mentioned you you were pretty much drinking all the time do you remember do you remember the first time you had a drink and, and and was it, was it for you one of those moments where that was it? It was a very first sip and that got you started or was it through a a different type of process?
1: Do I remember the very first drink I had? Um, Yeah, I was 13 and uh, I was at synagogue and uh, I was given, they had a little, they, you know, they had a little club they would go to and they'd have a drink in the morning, you know, 10, 30 on a Saturday morning. And they poured me half an ounce of rye. And I actually recounted this story with my oldest son he went to university. And I took a shot, finished the half ounce. And I can tell you that feeling to this day, I feel it going down my, my throat. I felt warm. I, it just, I, I liked it, you know, and I said to my son when he went to university and he had, he's like, oh my God, we drank rye and whiskey last night. I said, "Well, what did you think of it? He goes, oh, it burned. It was gross. And I said, that's the difference. I said, when I was, when I first had that, I really liked it. I liked how it made me feel. Um, that didn't get, I didn't start drinking then and, you know, go hardcore, you know, I, university picked up and I started to drink more. I started to drink more. Um, and that became the transition, but going back in hindsight, knowing at the age of 13, that I really liked how that felt in me. I knew that alcohol would make me feel a certain way.
0: Yeah. And I think that that's so important. You know, I, I I follow you on, on social media, the reason why I ask is because we still, to this day, have people who do not understand the disease aspect of alcoholism uh, and, right. and, and 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 other types of drugs, right? But specifically in alcoholism, and the way that I try to explain it, based on what I've read, because I I have never had a, an issue with alcohol. Um, And I'm thankful for that. And just it it doesn't react in my body the way it does in Mm. other bodies. Right. So the way that I try to explain it to people, at least the way I understand it is, is for certain people, it creates a reaction. And then that reaction leads to the craving of more. And it is a a chemical reaction, right? Uh, analogous to you're having an allergic reaction to cheese or you have some <laughs> other reaction to some other type of, of food. Alcohol creates in some people, this reaction that leads to a dependence. So people say, well, I, I saw your, your post on social media about, you know, Matthew yeah. Harry. Right. And, uh, and I, and I was going down the, the responses and there was inevitably someone said, well, it's a choice. You know, he, he did this to himself et cetera, et cetera. And it it fascinates me that we still are having that discussion today, that people do not understand that certain body types, certain genetic makeups react Mm -hmm. differently to that particular toxic substance. And and for some, like when I was interviewing Hillary, she said it was like day one. She had this reaction, this, this, this awe. All right this oh yeah. wow oh my god what did i just have so that's why i was asking you to see if you had a similar type of reaction yours was a little bit different very your- similar I, I had it
1: young and then as i got older, i had like i recounted stories like, I, I i it really was it was like oh my god like why what why didn't i not know this earlier like oh my god this is amazing and yeah, when I, even when, when, you know, people look at, it, you know, yeah, the choice and on that post I did, there were close to a thousand comments and I'll tell you, I gathered about a hundred of them and started posting some of them here and there and, you know, you have a choice, you know, who told you to pick up that first drink, you know, in a society where it's the only thing that if you go to an event and you don't drink, the pressure about why you don't is so big. That's why people drink. That's why they have the first one. It's it's uh, the societal pressure and the norm that we have all this. But like you know, I joke around. How come they, you know no one does that with like chopped liver?
0: Yeah, or or dessert for that matter, right? You yeah, know, you know, with, with sugar, of course, is is another substance highly to- processed sugar, of course. I mean, you know, highly toxic, highly inflammatory, very similar. Uh, detrimental things that 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 happen to the body when we consume it um and very similar dependence that occurs in the body but you don 't get the similar type of pressure you get you get some pressure if you don't if you don't you know eat sweets, but nowhere near uh, what you get with the pressure of alcohol so yeah. part of the reason why i 'm doing this is is to create that awareness that. There is a difference in how each individual body processes ethanol, which is the main molecule in alcohol. Uh, First of all, it's highly toxic. Uh, There is zero benefit. The data just keeps piling up. There are no benefits. And depending on your makeup, it will create a dependence very early on, and it sounds like you know this, this, this is analogous to what what you've experienced, not only in yourself, but I'm assuming that as you as you're coaching people, you're seeing the same type of things.
1: Yeah, and again, whether it's at a young age or an older age, what I'm seeing is that people who need that escape, who go to this escape level, not um, they need it, but they 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 try it, where it's like. Oh my goodness. And it's, you even see it with people in general, just knowing what it does. You know, they call it liquid courage. I'm about to go dance on the dance floor and do karaoke. I need like five shots, <laughs> right? We, you know, it, it's that liquid courage to get it done where, you know, it get things all the inhibitions away. You're taking away a lot more than just your inhibition.
0: Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, no, I, I actually used to use that term a lot, that's why I'm laughing, you know, liquid courage. Let me, let me ask right. you, you mentioned the rock bottom, right? So that's, you know, dark night of the soul. There's different terms, you know, for that or that moment. And as you start climbing mm-hmm. yourself or pulling yourself out of that hole, if you will, how did you go about dealing with, with the anxiety? Did you find other things to put your attention into? I mean, of course, you had the program and the program has the steps and and of course the program works well, but you still have to have the disposition to follow it, right? So in talking to different people right. that I'm meeting, it seems like everyone has the one thing that they were able to focus on to not to hang on to, to not go back to the drinking. Was that the same with you?
1: Yeah, so when I did my program, I, I did a bit of the steps. I didn't do all the steps. I, I found a program that worked best for me in an, in an inpatient program. And because, I, don't, you know, addicts don't do anything easy, I got permission to live out of the inpatient program. Yeah. So I was working at the same time, training clients, going to the rehab, and then coming home, sorry, going back to work, then going home. But what I use and what I use with my clients now when I deal with them Is my secret was, and I truly believe this, is if you know your why, if I I know my why as to why I was drinking, why I was escaping, what I was escaping from, that is the first step for knowing why I won't do it again. If I know why I drank and it wasn't to get drunk, what was I escaping from? Why did I need an escape? Once I figured that out. Then that was my ammunition to go, okay, I know what that is. Now I need to figure out how to handle that, right? You know, I, understanding that, and there's a lot of things I did. I did EMDR, which is a very important key tool I give to a lot of people. Um, the other one is no, understanding that, and this is a big one, it took me a while to get through this one. Every memory we have, the reason we can recall them so quickly. Uh, is their memories, is that they're just electrons in our brain. That's it. Everything that happened in the past, I can't fix anymore. But I can fix me in the present. So knowing why I drank to get away from this over here allows me to know why I won't go forward. Because this over here happened, I can't change it. But I can change my reactions going forward. So my big thing was know why, and I'll know why not. Uh, that's fantastic so you
0: mentioned you know tools uh you know having your why knowing what you're escaping from amdr memories uh as as you put these tools together do you find you know in your journey you said you know 18, 18 years do you find yourself taking out and adding from that bag of tools
1: yeah all the time all the time so um, EMDR, if people aren't familiar with it, uh, it's eye movement, desensitization and reprocessing, essentially taking what your trauma was or whatever, you know, you're needed to move past. Um, and I'm giving you the really quick reader's side, just great version of this that I put together <laughs> is you take it, you, you acknowledge it, you see it, it's there. We can't take it away, but we can acknowledge it. We don't have to, you know, befriend it, just acknowledge that it happened, Stick it into a drawer, close the drawer, um, and you can revisit that drawer anytime you want. And I, and I recommend, open the drawer. It's still there. Okay, I can handle it there. But it's not forefront or it's not living in the back. It's not like, you know, when you walk into a messy, de- you know, your, your office and your desk is messy and you just can't handle it. I've cleaned it a lot. You stick it in there. So that tool is great. And I actually go there a lot where if I'm having a moment and we re- I still react the same way. You know, if something is bothering me or I'm getting triggered by something, and that could be anything from my kids upsetting me, right, to, you know, something catastrophic in the world that I might upset me. I close my eyes, big deep breath in, and just allow what's happening to be processed. And that's all it is. It's the processing. And then I put it in that drawer and I'm good to go. Uh, knowing why again. So part of that why Is kind of, I know why I drank. I know the triggers that are associated with it. And I know why I don't want to. Because my don't want, my my wives know why I don't want to for anything that comes forward. It's not always the trauma of the past. I use drinking as a way to escape in general. I know how that movie ends. I do that a lot where I said to my clients, we've seen this movie on repeat over and over and over again. I don't like how it ends. The ending got boring for me. I need a new ending, right? There are times where I have had to deal with things that I deal with differently. We talked about the sugar before. One of the things I highlight with my clients and just anybody who reaches out to me, uh, I just wrote a book a little while ago and it's, it's, it's one of the tools in the book is if you're getting off with alcohol, make sure you get some sugar candies because one of the urges you're going to have when you're having these moments, is not just the alcohol, it's the sugars in the alcohol. So we used to have a business, my wife and I, where there was a candy and nut store three doors down. And I'd go in there and buy a whole bunch of nuts and cashews and this and that. And they'd be like, oh, they, Matt's having a good day. He's eating nuts. I could go in four days later and spend 20 bucks on candy. And they're like, oh, <laughs> Matt's not doing so good today yet. And It's funny, they didn't know that I, that I was drinking, but that I'd quit drinking. I was just they knew if things were bad, I came in for sugar. Cause that was my connection. My kids laugh today. Still to this day, I have a cabinet. I keep having to move it because they, they take my candy. But um <laughs> my my oldest one says, he goes, Dad, it's so funny. Most adults have a liquor cabinet and you have a licorice cabinet. <laughs> <laughs> and that and I and I use it for that, you know, that sweet, you know, that sugary craving. That urge is still there, not to drink. I've actually transferred it into candy. When I'm having a bad day, grab my candy.
0: Oh, that's wonderful. That's exactly where I was going next because that seems to be a theme. You know, like with with our common friend Charlie, he mentions that he runs, right? And, of course, we know how much yeah. he runs and he's been running, you know, the planet, you know, for, for a few decades right. now. Um, so you mentioned you need your personal training, do you see like him – a connection and physical exertion and caring for your body 100%. in a physical way. Tell me how that works for you and how, how, do, you, how do you promote that to the people you talk to?
1: Uh, start off really simple because you, you don't want to have a transfer. They call it a transfer of addiction. Listen, if you're an addict, you're putting some good amount of time into recreational drinking or recreational use of something we're going to have, that's a lot of open time. So we're going to have to transfer that to somewhere, whether that's, you know, cooking or, you know, running marathons across deserts, right? (laughs) Uh, Exercise is a huge release because it gets you one out of the house. If you're going to the gym, right? If you're going to the gym, it gets you out of the house. It gets you around other people and community is the biggest part, right? One of the things about addiction is that it's not about just the substance. Addiction is also a lack of connection, right? That's why people do it alone. If I'm with a whole bunch of people, I don't feel the need to go running to get a drink or right? I didn't back then, right? Uh, until it became my need was always at the bar. Therefore, my friends became the bar, um, what you want to do is if you're if you're getting into fitness, you have that connection. If going to the gym is too much of a challenge, again, we don't want to put up barriers. We don't want to cause stress. Grab a pair of shoes, go for a run, go for a walk, get out, do some push-ups. The endorphins you build up in your body while you're exercising, we know are amazing for you. Uh, I've added other tools to it, especially people early in sobriety. Once they've gotten past a certain you know, goalposts and sobriety. I'm a big believer in cold plunging, right? That's part of it as well. Part of that fitness level of recovery, right? Exercise, cold plunging or cold showers, and then eating right. You know, those are the three that I recommend to everybody who's getting into fitness after sobriety. So it's basically a
0: process, basically a process of reframing, right? It's basically teaching the body yeah. to need other things that are far healthier for you. Cause we know, we know we get those endorphins. Like you say, we know that the, the chemical makeup of our body improves or changes in a positive way. If we feed it well, mm-hmm. if we train it, uh, with care and basically replacing that feeling of drinking with, a better feeling through it and through a new process. And yes, you know, the temperature, yeah. the temperature changes through cold plunges, you know, hot and cold plunges, you know, it's, I'm a big fan of those as well. And, you know, not only for all the medical benefits, but but also because it creates that resilience in the body to resist. Yes. Yeah. Right. So I'm, I'm assuming that
1: that that's part of your routine as well. Yeah. Part of my routine, I cold plunge every day. I'm a big believer in cold plunging, um, for a few reasons and it's helped out my wife does it now as well we try and get the kids it doesn't happen that often um you get in the cold and all you want to do is jump out that fight or flight kicks in when you get in that cold plunge you just hop right in just go just have a seat go it's going to be cold um what i have learned is it takes about six seconds for your brain to actually process that you're in the cold you do it slowly it gets colder you hop right in you're in before you realize it's cold. Um, but then you're in and you want to get out and you fight that urge to get out. That's your fight or flight that kicks in. And if you fight that urge to hop out, you sit in there and you breathe. I have found things that might trigger me in general, not for alcohol, but just treat me where I might get, lose my temper or get into an argument with somebody. I take that breath. And because of how I've learned how to stay in that water, it's helped me to not react the way I used to react. I take that extra few seconds, very much like I do when I get in the cold plunge. I want to get out, get my breathing under control. Same thing happens. If I get into a situation where I feel that you know, fight coming up, that flight or fight, you know, you're heart rate increases your body temperature increases your breathing increases slow that down it takes about five six seconds then you're often better it's the same thing when i do that with clients where if they're feeling that urge to drink get your breathing down you know if or if you need to i told told flat out quickly hop in a cold shower that'll change everything right and that brings on things for anxiety as well if you're feeling anxious grab your grab a handful of ice Handful of ice, squeeze it, stick it on the back of your neck, right? Or if you want to really do it? Grab some cold, cold water, get a straw, sip it through, get a brain freeze. That takes every thought of what you were looking to do away.
0: That's fantastic. I, I, I am a big fan of cold plunges as well. And and, and you're right when you, when you, when you do it in a methodical way the way that you approach the world changes because you have to mm-hmm. like you said you have to breathe you have to focus you have to really get all your sensations under control to stay in that water and then you get out and now you're no longer reacting to the world in in the same in the same old way that you used to right so very similar with meditation right are you are you a meditator as well
1: yeah. yes I do. I, I actually. I have a protocol that I do every night where I, I work with all my clients, personal training clients and recovery clients. Um, my the protocol it starts about an hour before bed, where this is your. T- it's the only time I find to be your own time. That hour before bed, everyone's getting ready for bed. This is your time, and so what I what I suggest to people is start off get your brush up, wash up, do what you got to do. Then from that point, start a clock for about an hour. At that hour mark, right after I brush and wash, I do a full brain dump. Everything I need to do for the next day is dumped onto a piece of paper. I write it all out. It's not a to-do list. It becomes a to-do list when I wake up in the morning. I don't do it in order, but everything you have to get through, so you're literally emptying your mind. Then from there, uh, once the brain dump is done, I'll take my supplements. I take and I take magnesium to help me sleep. Uh, just again, the Altheanine helps me clear my mind a bit more. Then I will meditate. I don't meditate right before bed. I don't do it in bed. I don't want it to be, I want to really enjoy my meditation. So I'll do about a 10 to 15 minute guided meditation, throw my AirPods in, sit in the corner of the room or wherever I am where nobody else is, dim the lights a bit, Not that it matters, my eyes are closed, and I meditate for about ten to fifteen minutes, and it's amazing. I'm convinced I've fallen asleep (laughs) sitting upright because I'm. I'm, There's nothing there. I've dumped. I'm not thinking about anything, Uh, and then from there, I've got about another half an hour left in my evening where I just will read. I'll just sit. I'll just, and it allows me to have one of the most uninterrupted, joyful sleeps where I'm just. I'm out. So meditation is a huge part of that.
0: Oh, that's fantastic. I, I, I do it as well. And, and, and again, it's like the cold plunges. is one of those things that it helps me not being reactive to the world. I can actually be right. in the world and not just be triggered by everything that is trying to trigger me, which inevitably happens every time you walk out the door. Like you don't even have to walk. Right. Out. You just have to turn, on. turn the TV on.
1: Yeah. There's so much out there if we can not react, right? And we're always going to react in some way. Uh, you know, tensions in the world, the last six months gotten worse and worse and worse where there's always something, but we need to find a way to breathe it out, let it go. And again, I, and I, it started by doing a meditation. I, I challenged myself to do a meditation. It was January 1st, 2021. I'm like, you know what? I'm going to meditate every day day for a month and see how it goes and that was a huge one for me and for most people because it's you know it's daunting when i gotta come up i gotta chant i gotta come up with a mantra word and i can tell you if you do i don't know if you do yours with a, with a word with a mantra word uh, and they they say you know find find a word that that has no meaning and can't be matched to another word you give me any word and i will somehow find a way to match it to another thing
0: so,
1: <laughs> like, i don't care what word you give me I am going to do like on Sesame street where they kind of like get the two Latin words together and they bring them together for another word. That's me. So <laughs> it's because I would try meditating and I would try getting that, like that, 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 that mantra word. And I'd be like, and I did, I found ones that are meant for me, my age, my birthday, did all that. Every single one of them somehow, you know, manifested into often something triggering, interesting so now it's just that's why i do that protocol of brushing your teeth washing your face doing your bed routine doing that brain dump so that i don't have anything associated with the next day so that hour is like no man's land this is nothing's penetrating because i've left i've cut off from the day and i'm not part of tomorrow yet this is just the extra hour of sleep we got on the weekend type of thing
0: Oh, that's fantastic. You know, I had a very similar experience with meditation. I tried many different types of meditation and eventually I, I bumped into mindfulness meditation and that's what I use now. But I also found out that as I, as I found a way to make mindfulness meditation work for me, then I realized that other types of meditation that at least in my mind weren't working for me in the past, all of a sudden mm-hmm. became useful, right? So it's, at the end of the day, it's just a matter of keep trying and, and not being in a state of expecting a result, but instead of just doing it every day for five, 10, 15 minutes.
1: Right. And that's the, that's all you have to do. And if you, if you look at anything, if you, we can build up how hard it's going to be, we can put up all the roadblocks. You know, it's like with somebody, you know, the resilience of somebody quitting drinking, what do you mean I can't have a drink for the rest of my life? How about we worry about just right now?
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: Right? Like, like if I said to you, when's the last time you had warm milk to help you sleep? I had that all the time as a kid. I would never I've never thought about it since then. But at the time, if you said to me when I was a kid, I couldn't have my warm cup of milk every night, I'd be like, oh my god, what do you mean? How am I gonna sleep? But it was never a conversation, it was just my parents just stopped giving it to me when I was a kid. It never came up again. But when we say like you can never do this, that whole you can never drink it. Well, how will I live my life without that drink? I don't know. Most people, most people do it without a problem, right? Yeah. The problem is we are we are a unique set of people. We really are, and I have yet to find somebody who is in recovery who has not gone on. It doesn't have to be massively world changing, but it's their world that's changed, that they go on to do something even greater and better. I've never met somebody who doesn't have that story. You know, We're unique in that way where we have to use this trigger, this tool to help us when we're triggered. When we don't have that tool, we're firing on all cylinders, amazing things happen afterwards like it's it's
0: unbelievable oh, that is that is fantastic and I am as I as I get to know more this community which I always was aware of it um and my, back in college my college roommate had gone through recovery but now you know through Charlie I've become more in touch with the community and I see uh, the similarities. I see the connectivity, which is the total opposite to the lack of connection that leads to the drinking. You, you guys, right. you build a community. You welcome everyone. It, it's a beautiful, it's a beautiful thing to not only to see but to be a part of. As as someone who who doesn't have that experience, you still feel the the power of what you do for yourselves and for others. Let me let me go back to something you said real quick because you yeah. you, you had a you mentioned that you you were going to therapy for about 10 years before you openly were sharing your story. And then from yes. then on, the last eight, you've been uh, sharing, not only sharing your story, but you've been actually certified as a coach and helping other people. But, but for you personally, how did your process, or I should say, did your process change uh, on your day-to-day from – before you were very open and public about your story, to after you became public with your story.
1: So, yeah, when I, you know, when I was in the throes of my addiction, it was hidden, right? People knew I drank, and they knew I drank. And, you know, oh, look at Matt. You know, he's got such tolerance. They didn't realize I've been drinking all day long, right? um Then I got recovery, and though, you know that those 10 years, it was hard because it was, I felt so much shame still, even though I knew there was no shame behind it, right? We're going back eight years ago and there, there was still, there's still a stigma now as you saw on the comments on my posts on social media. Um, I felt the shame. I kept it hidden. It was another secret. It took its toll on me. It weighed on me. And then once I came out of that, You know, I woke up, I wake up different. I wake up not as heavy. I wake up knowing what my purpose is. You know, I had a purpose. I was a personal trainer, as a father, as a husband. But I felt in that period, those 10 years, I felt somewhat lost because I wasn't being my authentic self. My authentic self, whether I became a coach or not for recovery, whether all the things I've been doing in the last couple of years came to fruition, I do know that when I kept it to myself, I was doing myself a disservice. So when I started talking about it, I felt like I was me. You know, and not everybody wants to talk about it. We still have, have clients now. They don't want to tell people, fine. You don't have to tell people as long as you're not hiding it from people. Right? You, don't, you can say things like, well, look what I do for a living. I'm a personal trainer. I just, you know, The sober curious movement has helped out a lot with this to make it not as big a deal to not drink. But for me, it was, I felt like I was not my true self, my authentic self. And then once I told my story, it made it, <sighs> a weight was lifted off. You know, one of the, it was like, I had that, it was only you ever have one of those um, weighted blankets on you. Oh yeah. They feel good at first. And after a while, I feel like I'm trapped. Yeah. Not a fan of those blankets at all. Um, uh, They feel really snug at first. Oh, I feel so good. And then I'm like, wait, I can't move. Oh my God. Then anxiety builds. And that's how I felt when I was keeping it to myself. Um, you know, I didn't want, Oh, we're going out for for dinner. (sighs) Honey, can you cover for me? Then all of a sudden it becomes like, again, you know, she's enabling me to protect me, um, and protect yourself because, you know, there's part of that. Even now people will say, you know, when I post something, you know, her, she had a, She's been at a new company for the last couple of years. Then once I started posting it and we shared it on her social media once, all of a sudden, oh, my God, I read his story. And then it threw her back into the throes of it where it's my story and now she feels bad, which is the hard part for a lot of people because it was our kid who I almost endangered. right? Um, but coming out of it on the other side of it, I feel lighter. I feel my, my I feel like I am me. Right. People associate me with being in fitness and being in recovery. You know, I'll get messages on both sides and, you know, speaking my voice about it. And I I actually had one person say to me, you've been you've been sober for 18 years. You're not like you're not really in recovery anymore. And I'm like, you need to understand, I am always going to be one drink away from a relapse, plain and simple. So, yes, I'm always in recovery, and that's why I talk about it so much. And it's amazing because I'm so open about it, and I'll joke about it. My, my kids all know. We talk about it all the time. All of my fr- sons, uh, my son at university, all of his friends know, and we joke about it. You know, I, We moved my son into his apartment with his, with his roommates. It's his second year uh, back in September, and they had a table there that had three legs. I was not aware that it had three legs. And I leaned on it and the table fell. I'm like, like, whoa, Matt, are you okay? There's only three legs there. And a room full of these guys, these college guys who were all hung over. I'm like, oh, thank God. <sighs> I thought I started drinking again all of a sudden. <laughs> and they were dying of laughter because we make it so that we can talk about it. And they've even come to me saying, hey, I think so-and-so might be having a problem. Hey, well, this is what you gotta look for. So it's great that you know when you recover out loud, it also allows people who are who are struggling and recovering silently to know their support.
0: Yeah. No, I think that's wonderful. And I think that that, that is that is right in line with at least you know everything I've heard so far is, is that feeling of shame that that you know being quiet, not wanting people to know because of some sort of shame. And the moment you overcome that, it doesn't mean you have to become a certified coach. Uh, it doesn't mean that you have to do any of that stuff. It's just to be able to openly discuss the process of what led you to this point and the process you're following as you move forward. So I think that's that's wonderful. Wonderful, um, Matt. We we are we are almost out of time. So I'd like to give you an opportunity here to to leave the audience with something and then also. Uh, tell people where they can find your book and 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 maybe your your website or your tools. So, if you want to tell people three things about addiction,
1: what will you tell them? Three things about addiction. The first one I'll tell you is it's it's not your fault, right? So many people think, why me? Why me? Because we were lucky enough to be given the gene that likes it. It's not your fault, right? Most of the time, we're trying to hide from or escape from some sort of a trauma, big or small, capital T, small t, whatever it is, we're escaping from that trauma. So number one, it's not your fault. And know that it's not your fault. Number two, there is so much support out there, you don't have to do it alone. If you feel that you need to do it alone, that you're in a situation where, for whatever reason, it needs to be remain anonymous, or you just don't want to go through with it in public, Follow along to the people like myself or Hillary's or or listen to the podcast here. There are so many of us out there who can help guide you, even if you're doing it all by yourself. On that note, sidebar, reach out to one of us. It's still anonymous. No one of us will turn around and say, yes, we want to help you, but we want to plaster your name everywhere. We can help you online any way you want. Uh, and the last one. There is so much more on the other side of recovery. And I I have this, I have a a line of shirts that I had printed up where one of the lines is recovery or sobriety gives you everything that addiction promised. And that's a huge one for me because I have friends of mine who will say to me, Matt, every time we're together, I think we're all drinking because we have so much fun together. (laughs) right? Myself, the person I used to be is still there. I'm comfortable enough with knowing that I can just be me. And I'll tell you, I don't have to be around people who are drinking. I don't have to be with people who are not drinking. I'm just, I know why I don't, and that's good enough for me. So those are the three things I'd give you right there.
0: That's wonderful. Thank you, Matt. Where, where can people find you and your book and your tools?
1: So, uh, number one, my, my website is uh, we do recover.life. Uh, that's my main site where I offer tools as well as coaching. Um, I do all my coaching virtually, so over the phone, through uh, Google Meets or Zoom. I can be anywhere. It's also the way I do my personal training. Uh, my book is right now on Amazon, it's uh, through my name, Matthew Tobe. The book is called Sober AF, Breaking Through, A Guide to Overcoming Alcohol Addiction. Uh, It's a really simple guide for tools. Uh, You can get it on Kindle, uh, paperback or hardback. It's just a simple book. Every chapter starts off with a bit of my life and my situation in that moment to get to what the recovery process was. And I'm currently writing my second book, which is a lot of my story uh, and then the tools on behind it. There are different tools, a little more uh, involved tools. Uh, and then on social media, you know, at Matthew Tobe on uh, Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn, all of it. That's I, My brand is my name. And reach out. I'm happy to help anybody, talk to anybody, support anybody. If I can't work with you, I can recommend people who can. Uh, it's, it's that simple. We're a big community of people who just want to help out.
0: This has been wonderful, Matt. This has been educational for me. Thank you for making the time. It is a pleasure meeting you. I hope we can meet face to face someday and share more of these stories. 100%. Thank you very much.